Welcome to the Abbott Circle podcast. I'm Father Ambrose Christ, and I'm the novice master here at St. Michael's Abbey. We hope that you enjoy the following recording. To learn more about the Norbertines, visit theabbotcircle.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our webinar at St. Michael's Abbey. And as always, let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Queen of our Order, pray for us. Our Holy Fathers, Saints Augustine and Norbert, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So welcome, friends. This is our webinar about the novices and about the seminarians and about life and formation at St. Michael's Abbey. Thank you very much for joining us. Before I introduce to you the seminarians who are here with us today, a few of our usual housekeeping. All of this uh, webinar today is going to be recorded and we will send you, those of you out there who have registered and who are with us this morning and all of those of you who are not with us but who have registered, you will receive the link to the recorded webinar. It will also become a podcast that will be on our website um, in some weeks time. If you have questions for us this morning, this morning here or this afternoon, wherever you are, uh, you can please just down at the bottom of your screen is a question and answer button and our super capable Casey Cook here will be fielding questions and pitching them uh, to me and I will pitch them to the frauders here a little bit later and we hope to be able to entertain all of your questions. I'm sure you're going to hear a lot of things that you might be interested in learning about anyway here over the next little while that we'll spend together. Now, we can't see you on the screen and you can't see each other and uh, you also can't hear each other. So if you want to communicate with us, please do send in your questions and we'll do our best to answer them. Now, it's my great joy to introduce to you four of our novices. We have in th this class that these men represent, they entered the monastery almost exactly a year ago. Tomorrow will be a year that uh, when they joined us, St. Monica's Day, and there are three others in their class who are not with us because we can't fit everybody in this room <laughs> and in front of the camera in some kind of a convenient way. So this is Father Columban. Father Columban, where do you come from? I come from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And you are how old? I'm 26. 26 years old. Next is? I'm Father Gilbert, and um, home for me is San Antonio, Texas, but I grew up in, in And you are how old? 27. 27 years old. Next we have? My name is Frater Peter. I am 24 years old. I hail from North Carolina. Uh, yeah. Carolina. Welcome, Frater Peter. And finally? I'm Frater Rayfield. I'm 26 years old, and I'm from Richfield, Connecticut. Great. Well, thanks for participating in our webinar today, Fodders. Now, most of you out there at home have not seen these men before. We have a lot of seminarians on our website and some interviews that you've seen recently and some of the other video footage. You might recognize some of the faces. But since these men have only been here for a year, we, uh, don't, we haven't had a lot of opportunity to appear in front of you yet. So it's my joy to introduce them to you. And like I said, there are others who are in their class. We have right now at the Abbey, if my calculations are correct, 32 men studying for the priesthood. That includes 
uh, Frater Lazarus, who has made his solemn profession already. It also includes Frater Ignatius, who's made his solemn profession and who will be ordained a deacon next week. And also Frater Lewis, who will make his solemn profession on Saturday and then he will be ordained a deacon next week. We have tomorrow nine more men joining us. So it's a really good day to talk about life and formation. And maybe just to jump into that conversation, would one of you like to share what it was like to leave the world and join the monastery a year ago? They haven't, they haven't heard these questions before this morning. So I'm, they're, they're getting all the questions cold, which is kind of more fun. So. Well, I could, I could probably start, start off. Um, I think stepping on the plane was definitely a priest told me before coming out here, um, it's great, you've been accepted. It seems like you're happy, but just keep in mind, you gotta, you gotta make sure you get on the plane and get over there because I'm sure they've had people who just get cold feet at the last moment. And thankfully I could say that I didn't quite experience that, but it was, it was a bit jarring at first, but after coming here and getting such a warm welcome from all the, the frauders and the, and the fathers and just getting good advice right away, um, it was something I could, I, I just knew it was, it was a good first step. So, and my first year has been such a blessing. So it started out well and it's ended so well. Um, I couldn't be more blessed. Thanks for that. Thanks, Father Raphael. So maybe backing up even before the stepping on the plane or arriving at the Abbey a year ago, how did you, Father Peter, hear about us in the first place? Why did you choose to come to St. Michael's Abbey? So I, when I was discerning, um, first the priesthood and then religious life came up next, I had, uh, thanks be to God, uh, many people who were smarter than me and knew more, more about uh, the church than me who could give me advice. And so there's a spiritual director who had first given me a list of um, healthy religious communities in America. And the first one he listed was St. Michael's Abbey. And I said, no way, I'm not going to California. That's way too <laughs> far away. I don't want it. It's like thousands of miles away from my home. Not going to happen. And so that went off the list for about a year. And then one of my friends visited here and he was raving about it. And I said, oh, okay, maybe I should go, go visit. So it, it was exactly what I was looking for in a uh, religious community in, in, in formation, an amazing formation, um, great care put into forming good priests. And I knew that I, need, I was going to trust this place with all the souls that I would interact with as a priest. So I knew I needed a place that would form me well. And the thriving and healthy religious, uh, the, the liturgical life is also incredibly appealing here. Does it still feel like thousands of miles away from North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, I mean, mail, mail slow, but it's been, especially when, man, last fall, mail is chaos before Christmas. But it's, it's, I feel like even if it was 50 miles away, it would still feel like thousands of miles away. Yeah, a, a different world that we live in here. Right. So, Frater Peter mentions mail because the novices here in our Abbey don't communicate with people by email or by texting or the, the, more rapid means of communication and maybe Father Columban, you can explain a little bit. How is it, how do you communicate with your family or how frequently or how does that work with the life that you uh, left behind? How is your, what is your interface with that life? Sure. Well, your people, first of all, your people are in Pennsylvania. Correct. Well, the novitiate they say is the most monastic time in your formation process. So 
there's a very intentional stepping away from your family and stepping away from the world. And what that looks like practically is, like you said, you don't have the email, you don't have text. You can make one phone call a month back home, which is around an hour generally. And then for the most part, you can write and receive as many letters as you want. And you don't want to let that take up too much of your time. But overall, I'd say the access that you have to your family in terms of communication is uh, you have a lot of that access. Has that been difficult for you, Crosser, that, that kind of access or lack thereof? Mm -hmm. I, I would think so. And to be honest, I think it might be more challenging for my family, largely due to and in part due to my own uh, my own negligence in responding to letters, but <laughs> but no, on the on the whole, it's uh, it it is a cross. But at the same time, you you do you're trying to enter more deeply into the into the vocation and to spend time with your brothers. So it is a, it is a challenge, but there's a reason for it. Dr. Gilbert, maybe you could tell us a little bit about where you came from. That is what you were doing just previous to entering religious life. I think that our friends are finding that interesting. Yeah, so before I entered here, I was making, uh, serving with the Marine Corps. And, and how, and how is that? <laughs> so, that was a brief, good, good brief answer there. So what is it like that, what, is religious life anything like military life? Yes, there are plenty of similarities, but also <laughs> a lot of differences. The, the, the main one being that um, in the military, we're serving our country, we're serving um, our families, we're serving God, but here we're primarily serving God first, and then everyone and everything else afterwards. So um, I think that our friends will also be interested to hear a little bit more about your family and your sister and your other sister, and maybe you can just tell our friends a little bit about how the Norbertine world has, has invaded the, the Khan family. Yeah, so... Um, um, if you had asked me two, three years ago who the Norbertines were, I would, I would have had no clue. But um, I first came to hear about them through my sister, who is currently a one of our sisters, our closest um, sisters up in Mexico, and um, she had a big impact in my life. And it was largely through her influence that I um, got to know the Norbertines, and um, then through our Ambrose, our community. So. Certainly, yes, my family and uh, has had a, an impact in, in groups. And another sister who's discerning. Correct, yes. How many of you are there in your family? Um, so there's uh, seven of us, seven of us siblings, and then obviously my dad. So nine of us total. And uh, I think one of the things that drew me to, or, or and continue, continues to draw me to the uh, Norbertine order is that it's a bit, I feel like it's a family, it's a family order. Uh, many of our saints um, and uh, well-known personages have entered the order with their families and siblings or even their spouses and children. Uh, my, my patron is a good example of that, St. Gilbert, who was a crusader, and he, after returning from the crusades, he, his wife, and his daughter all entered, um, and they gave a working world to pursue um, to God more closely. So I kind of see that connection there. Although it is very much unplanned and unintentional. Yes, yeah, that's how God often works, right? In these unplanned and unintentional ways. And then we see his providential hand in retrospect, maybe a little bit more clearly. 
So I have um, maybe questions for each of you or whoever's interested in, I'll pitch them twice, two for one, so you can think about it a little bit. I'm interested and maybe our friends are interested to hear about what has been the happiest surprise in your first year of religious life. So a good, uh, something that you weren't expecting that has been a great blessing or a delight or a joy for you. And what has been the hardest aspect of your first year of religious life? Anybody want to take a stab? Yes, Father Peter. I, at least the first one, I have a, a clear answer. So when I knew I was entering religious life uh, and knowing what that looks like in an abstract way, but then also somewhat concretely having visited here for six days, to know that we can go to the church seven times a day in community and pray the Psalms and we're in the church a lot and there's like hours of, of prayer, but you know, all liturgical, whether it be mass or the divine office, I was a little afraid of what that would actually feel like. Mm. I, I felt like it would feel like I was in the church all the time and that it would be very difficult. But I was shocked how almost immediately, like it didn't feel like a long time. It wasn't necessarily fruitful right away, but it, it is structured in such a way that we're, con we're praying unceasingly, as St. Paul exhorts us, but in a way that just sanctifies the entire day. That's why it's called the Liturgy of the Hours. It goes to the divine office. It sanctifies uh, all aspects of our, our day, all times of our day. And the Psalms are God's words. We use to praise Him. And so I found them to be... Uh, constantly new and deep and wonderful uh, words to meditate on and to use in the psalms to, to pray with. So that's been a good thing. It's been a very good a thing. Happy surprise. Yes. Anybody else? Well, for me, before, the one of the greatest blessings here was a sense that I'm doing God's will. Hmm. I mean, speaking of the psalms, that the way, the path, to our Lord or St. John the Baptist saying, make straight the ways of the Lord. I had always, I had, I had this idea before coming to the Abbey that our Lord had a plan for me. It was just a sense. And um, during the period after college, I went to school at Thomas Aquinas College, just up the road here. That's how I got acquainted uh, with the Abbey. But during that period, three years after school, I didn't, I, I had probably about, I don't even know, I can't even count on my fingers how many different jobs I had, I just went from one day to the next, and it, which, is, which is not what I wanted. And I wanted something stable, but everything kept, everything, it became so clear that everything, nothing was going to satisfy. And then I realized that the desire um, was actually, as it turns out, a desire for God. And when I came here, I spent some time here, started discerning vocation properly. There, there was a sense that this is the way that our Lord has ordained for me. And that's been an unbelievable blessing. Yes. So much better than the wandering. Yes. So kind of a, a more settled peace of certain kind. No doubt. No doubt. That sounds like St. Augustine to me, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to celebrate his feast day in just a few days. We, and as you know, friends, we follow the rule of St. Augustine. <laughs> Uh, he's one of our great fathers here. So he famously said, of course, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. And it's a little bit of what Father Rayfield, I think you are articulating there in that same kind of sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Blessings, Blessings first, <laughs> why not? Let's see, just uh, 
coming into this this uh, way of life from where I was formerly uh, integrating into the community and experiencing the brotherhood that you're able to share in a religious community like this and just stepping away from so much of the uh, it's interesting I thought the the breaking away from technology would be more challenging than it ended up being and it's just once you're with uh, a prayerful and a healthy religious community, you sort of find that uh, you don't really miss a lot of those things that you really felt dependent on in the world. So I think it was a blessing, just the realization that you can cut some of those ties and you can be fed by the relationship that you have with your brothers. Could you have just, you, you alluded briefly to the life you were living before. I think our friends would be interested <laughs> to hear where you came from, Father, what were you doing before you came here? Yeah, so before I joined St. Michael's Abbey, I was a seminarian for the Diocese of Pittsburgh for four and a half years. And uh, it was a, a very good experience. I have a lot of very good friends that I had back there. And so in terms of challenges, maybe even behind some of the, the men who I knew back there and adopting very different sort of formation, entering into a different sort of formation process had its challenges. and. Um, one of the blessings I think for me is that a place like St. Michael's Abbey really is a home for the men who are in this community. And a lot of priests um, who are serving in the parishes are really giving of themselves and they're doing that in a very heroic way. A lot of the time the context for that is um, uh, the, the priest's life maybe doesn't have a lot of the, the built-in aids to holiness that are supposed to be in a religious community. Because of that, the priest has to be very intentional about seeking those out. So the diocesan priest, that is. That is. And in the religious life, you find that uh, just by being faithful to your responsibilities, by showing up to the, the office, a lot of that, and then also just having brothers who are keeping you accountable, a lot of that uh, makes the, the growth and holiness much easier. Mm. Anything to add, Father Gilbert, good or bad? I just think you're going to say, I think one of the biggest surprises that I experience almost every day is that I'm just still here. You know? <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You're still here. Yeah. We're glad you're still here, Father Gilbert. <laughs> Stick around, huh? <laughs> I have to say that I feel the same way many days, Father Gilbert. Not about you, but about me. <laughs> wow, I'm still here, you know, 21 years later. <laughs> so perseverance, we, we speak often in religious life, especially with the men who have just joined us or who are on their way to the priesthood. We talk about perseverance, praying for the grace of perseverance, persevering in this holy undertaking. That doesn't go away after ordination. We all need, and you all need perseverance too in your married life, in your Christian life out there in the world, it's a really important thing to ask the Lord for. So, and even if he, he keeps surprising us day by day. Okay, so how about some of the challenges? Maybe, maybe let's frame it like this. Either challenges in your actual life here with us in this last year, or challenges in that initial breaking away from the world. You know, everybody, I think most everybody out there and all the people I've had certainly, what do you miss the most? That's a big question. What do you miss the most? But I'm also interested in challenges that you've met here. I think that's a very interesting question. I think it's intriguing for how difficult it is right off the bat. And here's something possibly more uh, deeply intimate about our struggles than about the delights or the easy things. But to start with the simpler question, which is what, what do I miss the most? Um, so as novices, 
we are encouraged um, to to uh, to um, have all our reading be spiritual or religious reading of a primary sense. So we have a novitiate library where we get um, the vast majority majority of our reading material. And in the world, I was a great lover of novels and fiction and whatnot. And uh, I, especially in the years uh, in college and right before I entered, I, I was reading uh, a lot throughout uh, throughout the week. And so that was a very difficult thing to uh, to to give up. Um, but something I look forward to reintegrating in a, in a uh, good and beautiful way uh, post novitiate. <laughs> um, in terms of one of the struggles here. I think it's interesting, as Robert Gilbert mentioned, that there's the, the primariness of God. And what that means is very different than the rest of the world in terms of new places. When you go to college or you're entering a new job and the notion of an orientation, by and large, ends up being a very personal orientation where it's let's hang out and learn each other's names and talk about our uh, you know, life and let's stay up till 4 a.m., you know, hanging out and getting into uh, the, the deep stuff. Uh, at least that was my experience. In, in college, um, but uh, the, the, the late night conversations are always an intriguing thing. You reveal so much about yourself when you're tired. Um, and with, with God being first as he ought to be, um, especially in the first couple months, there's a, there's a slow growth of that brotherhood that Prior Clement mentioned. It's not something that forms immediately. And also since it's frankly so much more of a human uh, relationship than so much of our um, easily superficial things in the world, it takes genuinely long amounts of time to, to develop those, those, those um, real um, deep relationships. And I think that was very difficult leaving um, a family who I had obviously known my entire life and who um, meant so much to me and being in a group of people who I didn't know and who was slow in getting to know um, in, in, in deep ways. And that, was, that was a very hard struggle and in many ways continues to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that I look forward to in years coming easier. But when we're in the world that we we choose the friends that we want to choose, right? We we are we have a natural affinity for certain people in when you're in college or even just living in the world. Whereas this group of friends is all handpicked by God. And it might not be the ones that you would choose if you were choosing your friends, right? That's a I think an interesting feature that you don't often think about <laughs> so these friends whom I love are not the ones that I pick. Okay, some of the other some of the other challenges. <laughs> He's a challenge. He's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> the hair shirt sitting next to you. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's right. Well, that's true too. Sometimes my brother can be the. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's. Um, interesting what Brother Keith was saying, adapting to new life. You know, your brothers are your biggest support. And um, at the same time, once you, as you're, like you said, it's gradual though, those relationships form over time. And so in the meantime, it's always interesting to, to sort of, you're learning more about each other, learning about each other's quirks. And it's almost like you're, it's similar to sort of interaction you have with brothers back home, but you don't quite have the natural family affection that comes from blood ties. <laughs> You just sort of um, you have the the deeper connection, really the the spiritual connection. Like you say, our brothers have been picked by God for us, so you just sort of enter more deeply into that. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's stronger because it's been forged in challenging circumstances. Yeah, yes. Just to put some meat on the bones. I think <laughs> a good example. Uh, with, uh, I think I think what, what we're trying to say is that with people. Oh, 
upfront is our biggest challenge. And I think the same is true. Upfront fairs can also be our biggest blessing. But just to um, put some meat on the bones, make it a little bit more interesting, a good example I think would be um, uh, meal times. So at refectory, we always sit in seniority. So that means that you always sit next to um, the same people generally. And uh, of course, you know, after um, a while that you just get, you just run out of things to say, you just run out of um, um, conversation topics, or maybe you're feeling frustrated that day. And um, so I think that's just an example. Which is very interesting that coincidentally we have here the four of the, the four youngest novices. So I'm the youngest, so I always sit next to Frederick Plumman and across or dying from Frederick Rayfield, who always sits next to Frederick Gilbert. Um, so we're the ones who <laughs> we talk a lot at meals. You're the band of brothers yeah. at the bottom of the table. <laughs> and you gotta find, it's, I, I think it's the, you gotta find things that are interesting to talk about and you can change topics. I still think one of the, my favorite conversations, me and Frederick Gilbert, Frederick Gilbert instigated, and then we had a full length dinner debate about was whether or not blimps were an, uh, a valuable means of, of air travel. <laughs> I, I firmly said no, and he was a firm supporter of that. And so we had a nice 30 minute discussion about it. That's great. One of the, uh, one of the features of our religious life is that we take some of our meals in silence. This is an ancient monastic observance. So breakfast is in silence. And that's also just a human good because no one wants to talk to anybody before about 9 a.m. I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> so, at lunch, at the at the noonday meal, uh, the, the friends in the room are nodding. <laughs> the the friends in the room, yeah. So, um, at the noonday meal, we listen to table reading. So, from our rule, the rule of Saint Augustine, and other spiritual books. Right now, we're listening to the great biography of Saint Catherine of Siena by Sigrid Unstedt. Fantastic book. So, so we're not obviously we're not speaking to each other because we're listening to to good things being read to us. And then at the evening meal, we begin with some table reading and we end with table reading, but the bulk of the evening meal is conversational. And it's, a, it's amazing how that can be really a great joy because it's kind of like recreation, but it's also a great challenge because it's the same people every day. So, so the, the, a blessing and a curse at the same time, right? Something, this, this feature of monastic life. Great, thank you for all of these wonderful and personal contributions, Frauders. And so the, I, it occurs to me that joining us today or watching this recorded video could be two particular kinds of groups of people, either some of the postulants who are coming tomorrow or men who are men or women who are thinking about joining religious life. They might find their way to this recording. So I'd like you to maybe give some advice to people who are either about to join religious life uh, or about or are considering joining religious life after one year of experience of it. And I have a similar kind of question, you know, after this work, after we deal with this a little bit. So yours yeah, yours. My I just you have absolutely nothing to lose if you try this life. Um, I think before I came here I felt like I had everything to lose. That was a trial I had to go through it was a period of temptation. But um, it's so clear that in the spiritual life, our Lord is the most important thing. So if you give him your time and offer up whatever plans you have, he will bless you for it. Whether or not you have a vocation to whatever particular monastery you go to or seminary, it doesn't matter because he will still bless you um, and bring you closer to him. So that's what I would say. So keep praying 
It saved me. To those who are about to enter, I commend you for taking action. Um, for those who are discerning, I heartily encourage take action because it's really easy to, to, to feel, to think that you're called somewhere, to feel a draw towards this good thing that you see distantly in front of you. But visit communities, you know, go on their websites, talk to the vocation director, um, and enter if that all works out. Because the, the amount of knowledge and, like, you know, in the, you gain so much from just those simple visits that are very difficult to do. The first time you visit a religious community is a rather stressful thing. You have no idea what this is all about. And, but it's so helpful because without it, you're just, you're, you're, you have almost no knowledge on the situation. You're trying to make decisions. You have, it's impossible. So you actually just do something like make, like take action, mm -hmm. um, take those small steps. Yes. And of course, you don't really begin to sermon until you've entered a religious community or a seminary also. I mean, you're thinking about it in the world, but you don't really know what you're getting yourself into until you jump in. Certainly. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, definitely. There's no way you can yeah. describe what our life looks like to somebody who hasn't lived it for some time. Is that right? Yeah. One of the things that maybe I would encourage anybody who's thinking about religious life or priest who's watching this is uh, don't just cyber discern. Mm -hmm. There's an expression that's out there, uh, cyber yeah, discernment, which is just going through all the different websites, checking out all the different vocational possibilities, all with the safe anonymity of somebody who's online. Uh, you do sort of have to, to step out of yourself a little bit to write that letter or just now you just have to go and send something to Father Ambrose via the website or, or something like that that um, make that initial contact possible. The other two things would be, you would hear it a lot from anybody who's encouraging someone to discern a vocation, they say pray. And that's really sort of the, the, the meat and potatoes. You can't discern in a healthy way if you're not renewing your conversation with our Lord on a frequent basis. And then it's also important to be surrounded by the right sort of people who are going to help you discern in a healthy way. And so that could be a spiritual director. And it might also mean um, leaving behind any friendship or leaving behind maybe some of those relationships that wouldn't be conducive to a healthy Catholic way of life and a healthy Catholic perspective on something like vocations, because those people might not see the supernatural value of what you would be doing. So just being surrounded by the right people is very important. Too. I was just going to say, I think if you're doing it right, it's going to be pain and suffering, but that's not going to be afraid of. It's spoken like a true marine. Right? <laughs> Take the pain. Right? Weakness leaving the body. <laughs> <laughs> like um, great, Fudders. Thank you. The, what about, um, okay, so a question, one from the floor now, and if anybody else wants to jump in with, with questions from out there in, in the cyber world, out there in the interwebs, we, we have one that's come in. How, did, how best, so for the for friends at home who maybe are not discerning religious life, and I'm sure most of the people out there watching are not, already married or all they, they are already married and have families or folks who know their place in the church and the world as it is how can all of our friends there all of you folks best encourage vocations and uh, kind of along with that how did your friends and family encourage your vocation so this is a bit of kind of advice to all of our friends outside of the abbey here how they can help folks like you find their way into an abbey like this good question I, I think it's 
um, devotion, to see devotion in other people is, it helps you, it's almost, it just, it just increases your faith tremendously. So in my family, devotion to the mass, being raised, I can't, I can't even remember when I was first taught this, but the understanding that the mass is the most important thing you could possibly do in this, in this life, which is nothing less than the worship of God himself, perfect adoration by participating in the sacrifice of our Lord at Calvary, re-presented so many astonishing mysteries and just coming to a deeper and deeper understanding of that and, and seeing good people I respected take time out of their day and um, for, for the mass brought me, I think, brought me quickly to, to realize that if that's the most important thing you can do in your life, then why not completely orient your life around that? And that means not just going to mass every day, but singing the office, which is nothing less than an extension of mass, praying as much as you can, surrounding yourself with brothers who, who, who are living in the spirit of the mass always. I think all Christians can do that. It's done most intensely in religious community. But to see that done by the lay folk, to want it yourself, and then to, that for me, that was a powerful motivation. It's beautiful, beautiful. And good inspiration for everybody if you're not already going to mass every day. <laughs> Try to find a way to do that. Why not? Nothing works. First of all, I think that's a fantastic question. Um, a very good question. Um, for me, the first moment I ever even like was like, whoa, the priesthood, maybe I'm called the priesthood, was when I saw over a summer uh, dozens of virtuous priests. And you're seeing that example again and again of the holy priesthood lived so well was so striking to me. So uh, where, did, where did you see that? Exactly? It was, I, I was working at a, a Catholic um, summer camp. And so there's priests who would be, you know, um, either coming with their, uh, their uh, campers um, or priests that we had who would be saying mass uh, uh, for, for, the, for the camp. Um, and so I, I, it, was, it was amazing. And so if you're a parent, um, I would uh, exhort you to the importance of um, having a parish, choosing a parish where the, the priests um, are a good example in, in seeking out those um, those religious, those priests um, to be a part in some way or another of, of your family's life, your children's life, because there's only so much that can be done strictly by the, the, the lay person, by the married person. You know, talking about the priesthood is fantastic, like making clear to your children or your um, you know, people you uh, look up to, the, the value of it, helping them to understand it knowing the, the goodness of this um, uh, vocation, but truly the power of the example, I think is something that um, is there and you can really kind of help encourage by, by your choices. So it's a good commercial for our summer camp <laughs> if you live in the area and it's a good commercial for our Archangel Institute if you have young high school age people to send, but in every corner of the country really, there are fervent religious communities and holy priests, you can find them yeah. everywhere. So hopefully you can find them everywhere. We're trying to do something about that here too, to, <laughs> to supply such men, so. I think maybe a question like this, um, I know that this is the sort of question that's probably on a lot of parents' hearts, good Catholic parents who are hoping that their children would be open to this sort of a vocation. And you know, with the, the power of example, one of the ways that the parents really participate in that is by the witness of their own vocations because one of the things that's um one of the things that i think makes it difficult for a lot of young people who are discerning these days is 
there is a fear of commitment of really giving yourself completely to um uh, to service and to um really giving yourself to the church or to anything outside of yourself and i think what the parents show by living a very healthy and happy marriage is that giving yourself completely in self-sacrificial love it does lead you into fulfillment mm -hmm. and i think that um maybe for a lot of young people that's a, a concern some that they don't um that they might not fully believe and so just by living out the the married life in a happy and healthy way and um and showing that uh following god's will and being fully committed to to someone else and not living a self-centered life is in fact a, a happy mm -hmm. happy experience mm -hmm. it's very important so it's worth it the sacrifice is worth it in whatever vocation you live in that that example that's beautiful uh Jumping back to Father Raphael's, another question came in. You, you were speaking about how powerful singing the Psalms is. Um, and somebody asks, uh, could you all sing when you entered? <laughs> and how is that process of learning what it would like to take up liturgical singing? Well, I guess we could all sing, but just not sing well. At least I, could, I, can, I can vouch for myself on that one. I could sing a little bit here and there. The Psalms are easy. The chant is very simple. That's the beauty of Gregorian chant. It's, it's remarkably, it's remarkably simple. Um, I've definitely gotten better, much, much better since my first, my first day here. We've had a little bit of a rough uh, because of the circumstances of this last year yes. and our move and the fact that so much of our liturgical life was outside for a long time. We didn't really give you all the normal novice experience of you know four choir practices a week yeah um, you can start looking forward to that starting you know next week or a week, the week yeah. after next so we'll we'll be doing a little bit of catch-up there too with the singing instruction yes you'll sing when you enter i don't know if i can sing now <laughs> we're, we're getting there <laughs> we're getting there formation is a, is a long time praise be how long is it you tell me. No, it's, I mean, you all have a rough idea about the trajectory, right? Yeah. Typically, you have four months of postulancy in your black suit, and then you get the habit, and so you have 20 months of novitiate. So the first two years end up looking rather similar, uh, heavy emphasis on spiritual formation. Um, and then after that, you take first vows, you have two years of philosophy. So that's when you kind of get into, you begin getting into the, 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 the difficult academics of it, um, that's all done here. Um, and then we send our men to Toronto for theology. So they study theology for three years, um, which is the real meat and potatoes of the academic life of a priest. Um, and they cap it off with what I love described on our website as the Roman experience saying, as you were going to ordain the priest in the um, Latin rite in the Roman church, it's important for you to have experience of the eternal city. And so we send uh, our men at some point um, for a, a stay in Rome Three of them will be there this year. So, and and presuming that travel is still possible here in the next weeks and months, there will be eight in Toronto. Of course, our father Martin lives in Rome. He's the rector of our college in Rome. So we have our international presence there, spread out through the through the world and across the Atlantic. So uh, maybe another another one of the kind of meteor questions that. I was hoping to ask all of you and see if anybody is a taker as we're coming close to the time, end of our time together. What do you think is um, the value for the world or, uh, how can I phrase this? 
you know, the world is a mess. You all know even better than we do, but the world is a mess. What do you, what, what is your leaving the world and entering religious life at St. Michael's Abbey? How is that an answer to that? The fact that the world is a mess. Part two of that question is, how is it that the world with the collapse of Christendom and the collapse of our culture, how is it that young men can still leave the world and find their way into a monastery? That question would help in sense. Well, I would say for the first part, um, Christ says in the gospel, I know where I'm going. And that always stuck with me because when I was out in the world doing semi-worldly things, I was always a faithful Catholic, but I wasn't, you're, you're drawn to things that you probably shouldn't go to. And um, you can see, I could see if man doesn't know where he's going, then he's going to come up with some pretty bad uh, solutions to where he should go. And I mean, just in the 20th century, we have horrible, I mean, the worst massacres in history, like the, the, the utopian ideas, Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union. Um, I think that's what happens when you take Christ out of the picture. Now, in terms of, uh, I think in terms of helping the world, the life of prayer, we don't understand what actually happens, but our Lord changed, the, the, God, the sacred scripture says our Lord changes his mind. That's a way of saying he does answer our prayers. He has ordained it in providence that when we pray for certain things, it will happen mm. if, he, if he so wills it. Mm. Um, so there's the power of prayer, but there's also a sense of, I think everybody, I'm amazed. I'm so edified here in this, in this new Abbey to see how many people have volunteered to put their time into it. Carpenters, plumbers, electricians, um, folks cleaning, folks cleaning all the time. Yes. And I'm really seeing that everybody in society sees this as the culmination of civilization. So if you're having a hard time seeing what the value of an Abbey is in the world, the answer is, well, it brings Christ to the world and all things are coming to one in Christ, the glory of God. That's that's a first pitch. Uh, you know, how would I approach that? It's beautiful. Thank you, Father. Anybody else? In the, in the Gospel of when Christ is doing his ministry, so much of it is centered around healing. I think people, even who aren't religious, have the sense that there is so much brokenness that's out there and there's a need for um deeper healing that needs to take place in people's hearts and um all of the the evils that we're seeing around us um won't be solved by natural man-made solutions and the last thing we need is like whatever gift we might have just if we're going to be just trying to be very gung-ho and trying to save the, the world on our own steam, our effectiveness is going to be limited to say the least, and we might end up doing more harm than good. And so the value I think for the world in men entering a place like this is to really just be more attuned to the, the heart of our Lord, so then they can be a channel for that healing love. Mm -hmm. it, it occurred to me just before we sat down here, we're in the conference room of our administration building and so all of us came over from the cloister into this public space to, to be with you today. Uh, 
And just before I walked across out of the cloister into the to this building, I saw the piece of news that these men will not have heard yet because they don't follow the news that that the so many of our of our American service people were killed. Not I mean, a significant number of people died just today via suicide bombs that went off at the Kabul airport, so along with a number of other people. So that that situation over there isn't as you all know better than we do, an absolute wreck. And it occurred to me that coming and speaking with these men who have not heard that news about their vocation is precisely the answer to that problem in Afghanistan. Really, there's no human remedy for something like that. We have to depend, as you said, Father, on prayer. And whatever is broken there in so many ways can only be remedied by, well, we can't do anything about it except pray about that really. And the, the point is that that's everything when you think about it. So, so thank you for that. And sorry to dump the news on you like that, but it's just what we're doing matters, I hope. I believe and I, I trust. So good. That's going from you know really high flying ideas. To the very um, one last question here, <laughs> the very practical for you, Frederick Gilbert, not just because you're practical, but that you're also practical. How busy is your day? Let me ask. How busy is your day? Very busy. <laughs> very, busy. Well, very busy. Very busy. Yeah, I've had some busy days in my lifetime, and a good number of them have been here. <laughs> so um, I like that's a great question, and I can go on forever about that. But um, sometimes I, I think to myself, I'm working three full-time jobs. Um, and that's because um, primarily our, in one sense, I like is to create the liturgy of the, of the hours. So that requires you know, seven times a day in the, in the, in the church, um, which involves a lot of, I'd say, spiritual and emotional energy. Um, but then on top of that, we have uh, reinformation uh, for priesthood, so we have the academic life as well. So, in a sense, I'm also a student, um, sure. along complete with you know exams, papers, um, studying, um, learning new languages, learning new languages, <laughs> yeah. and then on top of that, we have um, we have work seminaries. Um, we work um, is that work is a manual labor is a, an important part of um, monasticism, and. Um, so we work here at St. Michael's Abbey, and um, um, generally we'll have, um, we each get assigned a different role, a certain uh, department. And um, so that's just one more thing. And then on top of that, we have really, I think the spiritual life itself is kind of like a job. You know, you're working to uh, grow and strive for holiness, perfection. And so uh, everything takes on a, Everything you do, everything twice. You do everything um, practically, uh, practically, but then there's a spiritual dimension. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, there's a lot, and that's just kind of like um, skimming the you know the tip of the iceberg. But it's also very fulfilling. Yeah, and if, if we weren't as busy, um, I don't think I wouldn't be the same. So you mean it's not like just being on retreat full time? <laughs> no, it's definitely not being like retreat full time. I think it's really interesting, though, compared to my, my experience in the world. In the world, whenever I wasn't doing something, whenever I was taking time off, um, I would feel pressure that I wasn't doing that thing I was supposed to do, especially in school. Um, like if I'm hanging out with a friend, if I'm you know, playing a board game, it's, oh, no, I ought to be doing this, that, and the other thing. 
Um, but I found very unique and something very well cultivated in the pastos when we don't have any of the, um, uh, you know, the kitchen fodder or being in the permanent section, you don't have that additional work. Um, when you have your free afternoon or, or your morning in silence, it is entirely given up to that that you're doing. You know, you can recreate with the pure joy of knowing that right now I'm supposed to be recreating and I'm pleasing God by by playing a board game with my brothers. Yeah. And there doesn't have that same, you know, rain cloud hanging over the, uh, the, the joy. Um, and I think it's, it's very beautiful how we can cultivate that here. So we're trying to live in the moment no matter what we're doing. Yes. Beautiful things. Friends, we could go on, I think, for another hour. Can you believe that it's been 50 minutes already that we've spent together? And uh, we're very grateful for, for your support. As you see, the, these men are, are a great treasure for us. And, and really, the fact they're here is due, I know, in no small degree to your good prayers for all of us here and your support. So please keep doing that. You know, we, we have, as of tomorrow, we will have 41 men studying for the priesthood here and that requires a lot of of course financial support but especially moral and spiritual support and so please keep doing that for us uh, as we said at the beginning you'll receive a link with this recorded webinar and please share it with your friends please uh if you're not already a member of the abbot circle please join us there that's a great way concretely of, of helping us do what we do so that we can serve you better in all the ways that God is asking us to do that. And please pray for these frauders and for me, and know that we're praying for you too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of holy and good vocations and all the ways that you show those to us in married life, in the holy priesthood, in the consecrated life. Please continue to pour out upon your church generous souls, to serve you as saints in each of those walks of life, and especially here in our monastery. And thank you for the friends that you give us. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, our Mother. To thee do we come before thee do we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy and answer us. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of the Church, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Goodbye, friends. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Abbott Circle Podcast. If you enjoyed listening or were spiritually nourished, please leave a review to help our podcast grow. Thanks again. God bless you.